You're listening to the AI Optimist with Declan Dunn. One of the most powerful ways that I've found to use ChatGPT lately is to challenge my own thinking. And I didn't even realize how much I needed that until I kind of started experimenting with it. And it just made me start identifying my own blind spots. And this is what I do. I, I write the thing first. <laughs> and then I use chat GPT to summarize or expand or whatever it is I need doing. But I write the thing first. And then I use chat GPT. And inevitably, I find gaps. I find angles I, I hadn't thought of or identified. Hey, this week, a sit down with Jessica Maring, CEO of Horizon Peak Consulting, talking about using AI to challenge our thinking. And Jessica's rich history in creative agencies and big tech companies has led her to doing some innovative research on how people actually use AI and how we can use this to go beyond the tsunami of AI content crap. Enjoy. You brought up something when I was outreaching about an article I'd never read called The Tsunami of Crap by J.A. <laughs> Conrad. So I looked it up and it's so funny. It's like the tsunami of crap deja vu we're facing with AI. Yeah, it, feel, it feels like deja vu. That is such a good way to put it. And, and I just feel like I'm hearing this conversation so much right now. Oh, everything on the internet's going to be crap now. We're just, we're going to get the deluge of crappy content that everybody's just churning out using chat GPT. And, you know, we can't, we're not going to have that quality content that we used to have. It's, we're just going to be drowning in the tsunami of crap. And I don't know. I, <sighs> part of me feels like that's such a negative way to look at it because these tools can these tools can be used in positive ways. They can be used in ways that make content better. But in the same way, if you have used Google search lately, you're seeing evidence of this already happening. The search results, it's just, they're getting worse and worse. In my opinion, it's harder and harder to find things that really stand out have an opinion, are authoritative. It is just a lot of kind of the same stuff being regurgitated. And it feels to me like in the last year, it's gotten exponentially worse. What do you think? How, what, what has your experience been? There's a copycat element. So yes. an SEO person would copy. So let's say you saw somebody on top, you would scan the article, you'd find a keyword, which by the way, none of this is 100% out applicable because Google's algorithm is what rewards you. So they try to study the algorithm, inherently a copycat industry. And then ChatGPT is a copycat of a copycat. Though I will ask you, I've found people who've actually found verbatim from people just using ChatGPT to write it without even editing. <laughs> what are they doing? Just verbatim. And they're finding it actually taking and stealing actual content from an, uh, an existing SEO site. Now, let me push to you. Google's algorithm rewards behaviors. So is the problem just with the writers 
Or is the problem with Google's algorithm in a way? I'm not trying to get deep here, but really, I mean, is the problem, are they incentivizing that kind of behavior? Absolutely. And it's a compounding effect. It's not one or the other. It's a complex issue. Google certainly, and, you know, we're picking on Google here, but it's all search engines reward this kind of behavior. Like you pointed out, the the quote unquote bad marketers are propagating this behavior. So it is a compounding effect. But then you also have, now you're adding the AI element, which there is evidence that it is already creating what we call language homogeny. So a standardization of language, which in some ways can actually be a good thing. It can eliminate bias. It can uplift weaker communicators. But in a lot of ways, it is creating what we could call the tsunami of crap, which is the same content regurgitated, nothing creative about it. And we have this exacerbation of language homogeny. Uh, Ill-defined, it becomes mediocrity. I have a Facebook friend who actually runs a site for people to self-publish their books, but somebody was ripping him about what he was doing. You're putting this out. And he goes, you know, my market are people who aren't normally writers. Mm -hmm. I'm not getting people who are writers. I'm getting people who would never write a book who actually want to write a book. And that this tool is allowing them to upskill. But in the homogeny of language, that's interesting. It's not black and white. Yeah. (laughs) It's really not. I mean, to your point, for a weaker communicator who is a strong idea creator, a strong ideator, it gives them an opportunity to put those ideas into a form that other people can understand, that other people can consume and be benefited by. So there is certainly a segment of the population that is going to be benefited by generative AI across the board. Now, for the strong communicators, for the strong writers, is this a benefit? This is where we need to talk about how it's being used. Because if you're just using, if you're using tools like ChatGPT to do your writing for you and you're not, you're not using it in any other way, there's no evidence it's making writing any better. In fact, one of the studies I found for this literature review that I did in the spring, which was such a fantastic project, um, I mentioned that I'm in graduate school, I'm getting my master's in communication through University of Colorado at Colorado Springs, and I did this literature review as an independent study in the spring. It found that in a business setting, using chat GPT for business writing, it cut writing time in half but it doubled editing time and it made no difference in the quality of the writing. So how you're using it, I think makes a big difference. I mean, are you using tools like chat GPT for just writing? I don't I'm not using it for writing. I'm actually using it for things like finding better analogies. I'm using it as like an expanded thesaurus. So I'm coming up with more creative words I'm using it to test my thinking. So I might write a summary 
of an article that I read. And then I, I will run the article through a, a tool like ChatGPT maybe and see what it comes up for a summary and just see if there's gaps, see if maybe I missed something or there's another way to look at something. So I'm testing my thinking. It's helping me sometimes come up with outlines, but I'm not using it for writing. Now that's not good or bad. I'm just using it in ways that I think people aren't necessarily talking about. They're talking about using it for writing, using it to create content, but there's other ways we could be using it to make our writing better. Like when I started the AI Optimist and I wanted to do deep articles in like regulations, well, there's 400 page government documents. I'm sorry. And I wish our government would start using it to summarize because you can actually get a great summary. And this gave me a, a legitimate way to share the key benefits without having, I could spend the time, but instead of spending five or 10 hours pouring through boring government documents, I was able to assess five different ones and then bring myself into it to do the evaluation and the opinions, pros and cons. So that's where I put it in. And I will say this because I'm writing myself. I'm writing longer articles that I do with the blog post. I, this is your actually only my second interview. So using it as a co-pilot, which is the fancy word that Microsoft uses, but I really believe that, that this is astounding because I see the other end of the writers say, I'm never going to use it, almost Luddites. Mm. And why wouldn't you use like, this is insanely amazing tools that can help you do so many different things, but doesn't have to like that anthropomorphism, it's going to replace me. I, I'll put it to you. I think it's actually going to make being a writer and writing well really stand out above the tsunami of crap. What do you think? I think it's, yeah, I think it's going to make the more human pieces of content. And, you know, it, it, it's very writing focused right now or image generation. But I think that it's going to impact other forms of content more very soon. But on the writing side, I do think that those of us who spend time making sure we are putting ourselves into the writing and uh, bringing in other voices, having an opinion, bringing in our own experience, which human experience is not something AI can replicate. It, it's not human. <laughs> it's a large <laughs> language model. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it can't replicate human experience because it's not human. But I know you well enough by now to know that you have gone into this with eyes wide open. And I have gone into this with eyes wide open. We understand, even though we're not technicians ourselves, that there are limitations to generative AI, that it hallucinates, that you have to check your facts. What I was shocked by, especially in the spring when I was really talking about this, just to anybody who would listen, as I was writing this literature review, doing all of this research, um, engaging with professors at the university to, to just find out kind of how they're engaging with AI and how their students are engaging with AI. Like I said, I would talk to just about anybody about AI in the spring. And what I was shocked by is almost nobody I talked to knew what hallucination was. And they would say, oh, that's such a great word. Did you make that up? No, I didn't make up hallucination. That's the word 
that is used to describe <laughs> tools like ChatGPT making up facts very confidently. It's called hallucination. I'm not that clever. I didn't make that up. But the average user, I don't think, understands the limitations. So folks like you and me, we go in eyes wide open. We know there are limitations. We know we need to check our facts. We know that if it's going to summarize a document for us, we better make sure that summary is accurate, especially numbers, especially, uh, you know, concepts, definitions, names. (laughs) If it's a fact, you need to double check it. But you and I know that. And I, I, this is my worry. If I'm going to have a worry about AI, it's that people don't know, the average person doesn't know that there are limitations and what to do to make sure that those limitations aren't going to lead to misinformation or um, just straight up lies, <laughs> you know, publishing things that are not true. But what... And besides hallucinations, what other important facts about the limitations of AI, some like one or two, do you think very few people understand besides the fact that, you, oh my God. And it's funny because he uses the word hallucination and I just makes me go to my tech friends going, this is not an ayahuasca thing, okay? <laughs> this is not like, it's not a search engine. It's not That's lying it. to you. Right. I mean, I get it hallucinates, but that tells the person that there's cognition that is like, OK, so what what facts about the limitations do you find? And I, you're pointing out some in academia that very few people understand besides hallucination. End. Well, you hit on it. It's that it's not a search engine. That it's a large language model trained on a set of data that has an endpoint. It's not Google. It's, it's not, that's not how it operates. That's not the technology. And what I found is a lot of people will think of it or use it, God forbid, as a search engine and not take that next step to then verify what, what the output is giving them. Now, granted, we should be verifying facts that we find on Google too. (laughs) Everywhere, right? Yeah. Right, everywhere. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like just with the difference in output, if you want to call it output, that Google gives you in that search engine results page, that you almost have sources built in. So yes, you should still dig. You should still cite the sources, find the original source of the data. This is something that I really drive home with my writers here at Horizon Peak. Find the original source of the data. Don't cite a Forbes article that cites a Fortune article that cites a defunct website that you can't even link to anymore. Find the original source of the data. And if you can't find the original source of the data in 10 minutes, you can't use it. That's my rule. But I feel like that's easier to do on Google because that's where you would go to research the source anyway, right? With ChatGPT, though, you got to take that extra step. You got to go over to Google and then check your facts, find the source. Yeah, and really not just validate the information, but 
I jokingly say people don't understand that these models predict the answer you want. Yes. And I, I did a whole pod about asking the right questions because it's all about asking to me. I learned this as a journalist, good questions, listening, hearing the blockage in a good way. Not that I'm not talking about somebody hiding, but like sometimes they don't even, they're not conscious of, of an answer that might be there that you're going to be able to make that story really rich. So asking the right questions. And I joke, I said, you know, in a way, ChatGPT and these Gen AIs are a little like an astrology site. It's some information about when you're, and I like astrology, so I'm not against it, but when you're born and it's like these generalities that come out that may or may not apply. And to understand it's a prediction of what you want, not an answer. Last thing I'll say about large language models is they are, most people don't know that the data that they have scraped is not good. It's Reddit, it's Wikipedia, it's pre-1920 books because they're public domain. It's social media. A year in, we're experiencing model collapse because some of the data is its own. It's the Ouroboros eating its own tail. <laughs> Can you explain model collapse to folks just if they're not familiar? I totally agree. Yeah, it's, it's using generative AI output as input for the training. So it's, it's generative AI using its own output to train itself, the Ouroboros eating its own tail. A lot of times the best information from ChatGPT has happened because it has quote unquote human review. And now let's just take a deeper. Human review is going to MTurk, paying people five to $10 an hour who aren't usually native English speakers, telling them what the truth is. That to validate it, because they don't know. So what's weird is it's actually creating bias mm. in the data because it, it's trying to do something. I mean, I'm not saying this in a bad way, but I have this big thing that I think bias is actually a construct of language and that trying to remove bias assumes that the person knows the truth. And I'm such a generalist, but there's an impossible softball question. Do you think it's sort of like, is there, is, can we actually remove bias? I think the better question is, should we? Now, if we're removing bias using generative AI, we're homogenizing language, possibly for the better, because mm -hmm. people who maybe come from different backgrounds wouldn't be identified by the, the vocabulary that they're using. So that can be a, a good way to remove bias in maybe an interview kind of process. But once we remove all bias and remove all identifiers, then we also lose that group dynamic. We also lose that very human desire to connect with other humans in a group setting, whether that group is a community, a workplace, a family, uh, a religion, a part of the world, a culture. Bias in that way can be a good thing. It, it helps us connect to one another in a particular context. Let's say you're studying history and you're studying I hate to say it because we're Americans and Americans always study World War II and seemingly I wish we could get off of connecting everything to that time period. It's like, but again, to your point of bias and, and in, in, a, in a good feeling, I'm not saying all negative. We use that. But if you had 
each culture develop its AI, which by the way, now we can translate into different languages. So me as a student in the US, I study the American point of view. Now that's very different than the British point of view or the French or the Germans or the Russians. It's hugely different. And imagine mm -hmm. if the kid could actually go, and this is where I love with bias, knowing that your culture is the bias. Now you can actually go and understand this culture's words, bias, language, point of view. What a powerful way that would be right now to teach somebody a perspective, a modeling of what another country sees the same event as. Yeah. Yeah. Perspective. And that's where, yeah. And that's where, I think that's the danger of language homogeny right there is we lose those different perspectives. And I did find in, in my literature review, I came across one study and I didn't go very deep with this topic and I wanna be careful how I talk about this, but it was in relation to language homogeny and it talked about how language homogeny, while it can be a good thing in giving opportunity to certain groups, there's also a danger in that it can ossify power structures, ossify social power structures. Yeah. So the very real reality here is that if we are looking at the homogeneity of language, the quote unquote social power is going to be the default. We lose all of that diversity we lose all of that, all of those unique points of view, all of that unique vocabulary, unique perspectives. And it ossifies the social power structure. And I think that is a danger. I think that removing all bias, if we're, do, if we're removing all bias by removing all unique language, then the danger is making those in power, how they communicate, the default, and we lose all of that diversity. So true. And like, I'm hoping that actually AI would help prompt an opposing viewpoint so that if you're yes. looking at it, it would challenge your echo chamber for a negative phrasing of it. But that, um, like in the scientific model, Alzheimer's um, has been pretty much treated the same way for about 20 years. I'm not trying to act like an expert on it, but it's, it's frustrating, right? Then there's these other fringe sort of, I call them fringe because they're not yet established or validated scientifically, but they're trying. But they get ignored. Because, and there's that, and it's a weird dynamic money. I mean, there's, there's layers. Right. And you're in academia. I mean, it's not not putting it on academia. It's hard. We all have, you know, things that they want to say or or angles that they and, and I don't even think that's bad. But could it actually prompt us to see something that not necessarily I won't say we agree with, but as um, the negotiator, Chris Voss, who has a really interesting approach and he's a very different guy than me. But I really enjoy listening to him because he came into a meeting. This is sort of timely of um, Israelis and Palestinians in the discussion board before current events. And they were always arguing and screaming at each other. And so there was never a discussion. 
So what he did, and he does this as a negotiator, I thought it was brilliant. The first thing he does is he makes the Israeli or the Palestinian has to state the point of view of the other. Like if I'm a Palestinian, I have to state what the Israeli's point of view is before I start speaking and vice versa. If I'm the Israeli, I have to state what I think the other point of view is. And then people stop screaming. Mm. They didn't change their minds, but the first step was look at what you don't agree with. It's like, you could do that with an agent that would like yeah. prompt you to Challenge not be thinking. I love it. And get critical, like not be, I hate even critical thinking. Cause it's just being, once you look at somebody else's shoes for even a second, it's a little humbling, you know? I mean, it's hard. We're, I don't know. And I've got such a topic. I don't want to even pretend right and wrong here, but yeah. just the beginning exactly. is an understanding. Yeah. Yeah. And, and <laughs> Like I said, and like you said, we, we need to be careful how we're talking about this because we we are biased. We are biased. That's human nature. We are biased. And there's a couple places I want to go with this. Please, please. <laughs> uh, but I think one of the most one of the most powerful ways that I've found to use Chat GPT lately is to challenge my own thinking. And I didn't even realize how much I needed that until I kind of started experimenting with it. And it just made me start identifying my own blind spots. Mm. And this is what I do. I, I write the thing first. <laughs> and then I use chat GPT to summarize or expand or whatever it is I need doing. But I write the thing first. And then I use chat GPT and inevitably I find gaps. I find angles I, I hadn't thought of or identified or vocabulary language that I might not have used, but that adds such color to the writing. And, and I love it that it can be used that way. Let's talk more about losing it that way and talk less about using it to replace writers. Let's start using AI to challenge our thinking. The AI Optimist. My name's Declan, and I'm done. See you next time.